Hi guys, welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Another fantastic day and today's interview I was looking forward to because when I read the information about Eric De Rosa, I thought, hang on, this guy must have stolen that from me or do, 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 do. did I actually somehow in my subconscious mind read everything from him? And then I don't know how many years later, I now became his double. Are we twins exchanged at birth, brought up in different parts of the world? I don't know, but I'm keen to find out. I've got Eric De Rosa, a man who is changing this world one interview at a time, both as a host and both as a guest. And we will explore the beauty of mindfulness, the beauty of living a life authentically, uh, when with humility and going out there and kicking ass and living it to the fullest and maybe by doing so becoming the 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 little lights the candles or maybe a torch maybe a lighthouse in the darkness of others because we both saw the darkness and we lived it very thoroughly for a long time but now it's time to break the taboo to to talk about what is really important being us, loving us, and that it's okay not to be okay. So thank you so much for coming on to my show, Eric. It's an absolute honor and pleasure to have you. Good morning, Stefan. Thank you so much for having me on today. It, it was amazing when we first started speaking about so many, as you said, of the parallels between your life and our life. And, and to think presently where exactly halfway around the world from one another, but just the very fact that uh, you're on the North Island of of New Zealand, and I had spent some time on the South Island of New Zealand, uh, living in Wanaka and skiing at Treble Cone, and so there's that coincidence, and and how we talk about our own personal journeys and the experiences of our journeys, and and even in some of the language that we use uh, mm -hmm. in how we describe where we are on our own personal journeys right now. And, you know, I think it's, it's just so amazing that, you know, we can be on a, a show like this today, especially as two men. Uh, it's so important to speak about these mental health topics to make these conversations, as I like to say, on our own show, kitchen table conversations, uh, and to show vulnerability as men. And, and you were talking about either, you know, lighting candles or or being torches or being lighthouses and and i love to use the analogy of you know having these like chandelier moments and being a chandelier and and i know for many people uh when they talk about learning something new it's kind of that light bulb moment and and for me uh and my friends we always refer to it as it's a chandelier moment when kind of all the light bulbs come together at the same time and so you know as your audience listens today hopefully you know for the next hour or so they'll they'll get to hear lots of chandelier moments taking place between the two of us <laughs> Uh, that sounds beautiful and that's that's exactly already what i had in the preamble before when we sort of warmed up and got to know each other uh we immediately sort of uh started chatting and chatting away it was brilliant but there was already one moment when i thought huh 
Turns out we both actually enjoy playing the guitar, Eric, and you are a bit of an aficionado there. And and um, you said something so beautiful about playing the guitar. Repeat that sentence. Sure, and I appreciate I appreciate the kind words about my playing. Uh, I'm I'm self taught. I learned started playing about probably 15, 16 years ago when I was in New York City. And it was, for me, a, a way to help heal myself, redirect my energy into something positive. And, and what you were just alluding to is I, I feel like for me, what the guitar allows me to do, it allows me to really be in the now and to be in the present. Because when, when, for anyone who has played an instrument or is interested in playing an instrument, when you sit down and you start to play music, it really it grounds you in not only the music that you may be listening to, but if I think about how the guitar works, you know, my left hand, I'm right-handed. So my left hand is my fret hand and my right hand is my strumming hand. And so for me, it really allows me to be in the now and know that I can't be having racing thoughts. I can't have lots of anxiety. I can't let my mind be swirling, uh, but I have to be in the present and I have to be with the guitar and be one with the guitar. And I find when that happens, it also really calms me. And we talked about uh, coming home from uh, a concert and uh, having listened to music and then being able to sit down and just be able to play that music and and hear something similar, not the same, I'll say, but similar come out of the guitar and and how much that uh, is is just rewarding as well. <laughs> but it is it is an example where there are outlets of of activity that maybe are less self-destructive than so many of the other activities that we normally choose, uh, some more or less so. Um, I mean, it's not particularly self-destructive if you play a bit of Candy Crush or some, some other game on your phone. If you do that eight hours, well, you could argue, <laughs> hang on. And what about all the other things that we do to de-escape our reality? to not have to live it. I mean, the alcohol was mine, the the eating disorders, the sex, the gambling, the, the drugs are maybe things that are very close to your heart, you guys, your listeners out there. So bottom line is, we have choices to make. Um, but the privilege of making a choice, you don't realize it, you take it for granted. Uh, you need to get, I guess, the phoenix has to burn first before it can be reborn and rise out of the ashes. So my question to you, Eric, okay, when did your phoenix burn? When, when did you actually, what was your darkness that, that led you ultimately to transform yourself? into a man who is now out there and wanting to change the world. Sure, I guess it it kind of happened in in two different episodes. I was 33 years old, living in New York City. Uh, I had suffered in silence for a very long time 
with anxiety and OCD. Uh, and for me, the OCD, uh, the compulsions manifested themselves in both intrusive thoughts as well as the physical side of, of OCD, which I think many of your listeners are probably more familiar with. Uh, and I was working on Wall Street and and from the outside world, and at least from the facade that I was letting people see, uh, I had it all, right? Here I was, 33, uh, had an amazing wife who I'm still married to to this day. And and uh, and I'm I'm lucky that she's been with me every step of the way. Uh, but I I suffered my first uh, full blown nervous breakdown. And it was at that point when not only myself, but my wife recognized I needed help. Mm -hmm. And so that was that was kind of the first step along the way. But but like anything else, um, you have to really, really, really want it. And you have to really want to believe in it. And, <laughs> and I decided after a year that I was my own best doctor and stopped seeing my therapist <laughs> and went off, went off my meds and thought, Hey, uh, this mental health thing, just like any physical ailment, I'm cured. I'm fine. Everything's great. Uh, and then two years later, I suffered my second and much worse nervous breakdown. And so I, I would say in 2006, that was when everything really started to, to burn brightly. And that is when I decided something really has to change. Something has to be different. I, I can't live this way anymore. Uh, and so here I am, I'm 50. So that part of the journey for me has really been 14 years. Uh, we made the conscious decision uh, after uh, doing lots of work with my therapist. I was on, uh, I am, and uh, was on medication. We moved here to the Rocky Mountains in Colorado in the fall of 2011, and it was at that time that I started what I call the second act uh, of of my career and my journey, and started teaching skiing full time in the winter. I was always an athlete growing up, a competitive athlete growing up. And so I also needed an outlet and something healthy to do in the summertime. And so I got very much into uh, biking and uh, especially mountain biking. And, and so those are the two things uh, that I'm extremely passionate about and, and still do uh, you know, to this day. Uh, but I would say act three uh, and that act for me has really come now within the last 18 months uh, was when I decided to really not only speak about my own journey, but I wanted to take a leadership role in helping others, not only in being an advocate, but starting a podcast, being an inspirational speaker, helping other people realize that they're not alone on their journeys. There's help. There's hope. Uh, there's a way through. Uh, and and that for me, I think was the, really the game changing moment. It was uh, in December of 2020, when I decided I, I wanted to be part of the solution uh, to what's happening around mental health conversations. I didn't want to just be a passenger any longer. How cool is that? And that's basically going full circle because there is a moment in our life where we are stripped down bare and uh, some call it rock bottom. Um, 
I don't know. There's so many cliches about that moment. But each of us, each of those who are now seeking to make this world a bit better, we all have experienced them, these, these dark nights of the soul. And I'm I'm nowadays grateful for those many dark nights of the soul that I experienced. Because without them, I wouldn't I wouldn't have to drive nowadays to get up here at six o'clock in the morning to to record this beautiful interview. Um, these dark moments, when you say a full blown a full blown, this was not just a panic attack. This was basically no. burned out. This was basically yes. boom crash down and all um yep how, and if it helps how, your audience i can even give a bit of a description of, no no first of first that, give me a description yep. of the life you lived beforehand because sure. i mean wall street um is the, the <laughs> epitome of of pressure isn't it so basically i mean you you burned a candle on both ends and on multiple places in the middle is that an educated guess yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And so growing up, I I lived with anxiety. I lived with OCD. Uh, it was, you know, it, it all comes back to childhood emotional trauma that I suffered. And I've been diagnosed uh, just within the past year with, with childhood PTSD, uh, which helped me to solve a lot of the uh, open questions that I had for, for all of those years. And so you know, I was I was essentially living not only in my childhood years and my high school years and my college years in in the pressure cooker and the stress uh, that had been created when I was a child, but then also of being, you know, outstanding in, in athletics uh, and being, you know, near the top of my class in, in academics. And <laughs> and so all of those stressors and all of those things continued to build. And, and I kept doing things, not for me, but I was doing things for what other people wanted me to do. And so putting all, all of that pressure on top, uh, mm -hmm. I thought, you know, well, I, I love economics and I love finance and and I have, I had studied this and, and my wife was from New York and, and I fell in love with the city the first time I visited in college. So I thought, Hey, what better place than, than wall street, never kind of putting all those different pieces and parts together thinking probably the worst place for somebody who suffers from severe anxiety and panic attacks and OCD uh, <laughs> would be to go throw themselves into one of the most stressful environments in the world. And so, uh, so there I was at, at 21 years just, old. Just one second. You, you could yeah. argue completely the other way around. Um, what is exposure therapy in the sense of phobias? You are getting used to the pressure. Here you are. You're proving to yourself you're a man. You're going out there. You're going after it. You are a man who has beaten your, your inner demons and you're going out there. You are it. You're the epitome, or the, you're the, the, the classic, the, the poster child for self-made kick-ass type a personality are you not well and that was the facade that i let everybody see of course mm. uh but in reality i was still uh you know the seven year old little boy who was not grounded in safety and security uh. and so for me uh in my physical body being in new york city uh my wife was a year younger than me and so she was still at university and so here i am living in new york 
uh, completely and totally ungrounded in, as you described, this world. Uh, at the time, it was the early 1990s. Uh, and so it was still very much the world that you see in the movie Wall Street exactly. or the, the Wolf of Wall Street that came out later, uh, where, um, you know, being a man, I had to show toughness. I had to show that I belonged in this world. Uh, but deep down inside, I was terrified. Uh, I was terrified every day I went to work. And I kept thinking, when are they going to find me out? Right here, here's, here's, let's, <laughs> let's layer in the imposter syndrome. Am I, do I really belong here? Am I really smart? Do I really know what I'm doing? I'm, I can only imagine they must see, they must see how scared I am. Uh, and so, you know, that, that continued. And, and, you know, I, I think back now, I was 29 years old, and I, and I don't think I've even discussed this uh, on, on our own show. I was 29 years old. I had the best year of my career. And I'm sure if you ask most 29-year-olds who are growing up nowadays, uh, you know, what kind of a year did you have? Um, none of them <laughs> are going to say, or very few uh, are going to say that the most successful year of my career, uh, you know, financially and, and everything else was, was at 29. Uh, but, you know, here from the outside, again, people looking looking in would say, wow, you have it all. You, you know, you get to travel the world you guys go on amazing vacations and you have an apartment in New York city. And, um, you know, we, we chose not to have any kids. Uh, and we can talk about that a little bit later because they're there. It has the mental health component uh, baked into it. Um, but I was struggling, I was struggling, I was suffering and, and it was in silence. Uh, and so my, my career up until that first nervous breakdown, I know they call them now kind of dissociative episodes uh, or psychotic breaks. Um, you know, no one would have seen that anything was wrong. My wife didn't see it. I, 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 I could have won an Oscar for the acting job uh, that I was able to do around my friends, my family, uh, and all of my loved ones. Uh, but when I had that first and then second uh I'll call them dissociative episodes because I think it helps to describe it a little bit better. Uh, and so, and, and just kind of a, a typical panic attack, you know, in a panic attack, your heart starts to race, you know, you feel all of the physical manifestations, you know, sweating. Um, and, and also your mind is racing, you feel kind of unsafe. Uh, but for me going into kind of that full blown dissociative episode, it takes a, a much deeper and a deeper path. And with that, it's really where the the mind disassociates itself from the body. And I'm not, I, I'm going to make the disclosure, I'm not a, a medical professional. So I can only describe my own personal experience. But in both of those episodes, I, I lost um, significant periods of time. The first first time was probably a good 48 hours. Uh, the second time was was over a three day weekend, and I have absolutely no recollection of that period of time. What happened? What I was doing? What I said? I do remember I was able to kind of function, and uh, luckily I I wasn't at work. Uh, I was I was in my apartment, uh, but I I have no recollection of of being in that place. And, and the only way I can describe it is if you're using a computer uh, and if you're using a Mac, uh, I, I get 
the wheel of death. That's what I call it when you get that little circle spinning. Uh, and with uh, with a regular PC, everything kind of freezes. And it's, it's the same as doing kind of an alt control uh, delete to reset your brain it's and 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 it's it's interesting because when i when i came out of both of those i went into a state of euphoria uh and so i just remember being in kind of this really 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 dark place where i was where i was crying and and anxious and and panicked and then suddenly being very euphoric uh, and that lasted for a number of hours until, uh, you know, all of that kind of adrenaline wore off. And, uh, and that's when I realized, you know, some real work absolutely needed to be done. And, um, and so it, it, I, I can tell you it was scary the first time. It was even more scary the second time. And, and I came pretty close again in uh, October of last year to to having a third. And, and luckily, I had a very strong um, team around me. We were talking before the, the show about healing teams. And I was able myself to catch some of the signs and symptoms early enough that they were able to, you know, start to help and direct me. And, and, and ultimately that led to my PTSD diagnosis. But, um, but yeah, when I, when I think about those two phases of my life um, and, and how challenging it was to hold up this facade in front of the world uh, to show them everything's great, everything's fine. Um, but little Eric, as we like to call him uh, now, uh, it was, was scared to death. To, to set one foot in front of the other and walk out into the world. <laughs> oh, how beautifully said. And for so many sentences that you spoke, they could have come out of my mouth. It is bizarre, the world that we create. Did you have strong role models as far as men were concerned in your life? Or did you make them up yourself? I certainly did. Who were your role models? If you think about it, who did you want to be in your dreams? So, yeah, it's interesting. I never had any strong male role models growing up. Mm. My strongest role model was my grandmother. And it's interesting on our own show, when we've had many guests on, uh, especially male guests uh, who have who have gone through uh, their own personal struggles and personal journeys they're often surrounded by strong female role models and those are often the people who they then will model themselves after and so for me growing up we lived in a two-family house we lived on the top floor and my grandmother lived on the bottom floor and she was with us up until the time I was uh, nine years old and, and passed away but she was the one person that I spent the majority of my time with. She was, she was the one who made me feel safe and secure. Uh, she was the one who let little Eric be little Eric. Uh, I got to experience, you know, lots of amazing, amazing things with her. Um, and, and it's a really interesting question that you ask, because when I think back to the time after she passed, I never really looked out into the world and thought, hey, there's a male person, there's a male figure that I want to be like. Um, 
I always looked back at her. Um, you know, I can I'll give I'll give a little example. So I ran I ran track in high school, and um, whenever I would be at a track meet or you know at a, at some type of a high level competition, uh, before I would compete. You know, I would kind of close my eyes and I would I would think of her and try to uh, I understand it now and I didn't then, but I was trying to harness her energy. And then at uh, the end, at the end, I would always again kind of close my eyes and and think. And now I realize what I was really doing is I was looking for her to say, I'm proud of you. Great job. Um, you know, you've really come a long way. And even though she wasn't with me physically, she was with me spiritually because what I was lacking from those around me in my physical life, I was able to get from her uh, on the spiritual side. And so I'm really, I'm really glad you asked that question because mm. I feel like, I feel like sh she was for a very long period of my life and and in many ways still is uh as i've as i've come to discover with all the the energy healing work that i've done she really was and is you know the role model that i've always wanted to be beautiful absolutely beautiful that this 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 human being of strength had such a positive influence Re, sort of reflecting back into my life, I, there was not such a person there. So therefore, I fell foul of of uh, of role models from from the pictures. So it was a Lethal Weapon, Die Hard, Mel Gibson, Bruce Willis, those kind of anti-heroes um, mm -hmm. that I very much identified with. So for me to not shave, have a, a three-day beard, um, be rough around the edges, hey, that's how a real man looks like. And, oh, look at that. Mel Gibson, the opening of Lethal Weapon, the original film, he basically coughs his lung out and with a cigarette in hand, beer in hand, naked, has a piss. I thought, okay, I can do that. Now that's how a man behaves. Okay, so here you go. So well, I chose my role models to to maybe allow me to to let rip in the sense of uh, to use alcohol, for example, alcohol mm -hmm. later down the line, not at that stage, uh, but certainly 18, 19, 20, alcohol became quite a beautiful release of my tension. My goodness, all this anxiety, all this pressure, the pressure cooker, it is as if the valve blew after uh, a liter of beer. Uh, I was still a cheap date that time. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was just I could still get a lot of boom uh, for my uh, bang for my buck um, when I was 18, 19. Um, how did alcohol play a role in your life? It is, I mean, so, with this tension yeah. that is that is in your life, how did you try to release that tension? Sure. So, you know, growing up, uh, my father, um, I, I often don't refer to my either one of my parents as mother or father. I just say, uh, 
the person who contributed to my birth. Um, but so, uh, you know, I grew up, he, he was a Marine, uh, police officer, a police officer in town. And so that made it very challenging for me because I, I was terrified, um, to be caught doing anything that might run afoul of, <laughs> right, right. of the rule book. And, so for me, at 17, graduated from high school, had never had a drink before, went away to university. So I was <laughs> uh, living, let's see, uh, university for me was about an hour away, uh, yeah. just outside of, of Boston. And I'm guessing, without me even saying anything, you and your audience knows what happened next. But I, so I show up on campus and show up, we, I got there earlier than most of the other students, not only being a freshman, but being on, I'd been recruited. So being on the track team uh, and we didn't have a football team, uh, an American football team uh, at mm -hmm. our, our university. And so the soccer team, the baseball team, and the track team, we kind of became the de facto American football teams on campus. Mm. So I just remember showing up and that first night I was at a party and the drinking started. And here I am, you know, blackout drunk. And then the next night, the drinking started again and I'm blackout. And now we're a couple <laughs> of weeks in and I'm not not remembering evenings. I'm like, how did I get back to my room last night? And the, and the night that really changed it all for me, I think from an alcohol standpoint. Uh, so there was a tradition on the track team, which I didn't know of at the time. Uh, so for your 18th birthday, you were given a bottle of night train, which was the cheapest red wine you could imagine talk about like swell <laughs> so um i show up at the party i'm handed this bottle and i'm told you know drink this as fast as you can right so here i am i'm 18 thinking oh here's a here's a challenge so i drank that bottle as fast as i could and the next thing i know i'm waking up in the in on-campus infirmary and I look down and I'm in a bed don't remember how I got there I remember having a, a hard rock cafe t-shirt uh sweatshirt on and it was all ripped and I still had my uh my running shoes on and it was about seven o'clock in the morning and I got got up out of the bed and I kind of looked down the hallway and I didn't see anybody. And I went into a full on sprint down the corridor, out the door, up into my dorm room. And at that point, thoughts racing, panicked. What did I do? How did I get here? Um, is, is somebody going to, is somebody going to chase me? What? And I got back to my dorm and I remember walking in and, and seeing some of my dorm mates and seeing this look on their face, uh, like they had seen a ghost. <laughs> And I said, what, what happened last night? Like how, and they said, you don't remember? And I said, no, I just, I just woke up in the in infirmary. And they said, well, you, you got back to campus and people dropped you off here. You were in the bathroom. You were extremely sick. We were really, really 
panicked about your well-being. And so we called uh, the on-campus paramedics. And then when they got here, you decided to fight them. (laughs) (laughs) Which explained all of the rips in my sweatshirt. And again, no recollection. Uh, And so that was when they decided to bring me to the infirmary. And uh, and so I was there overnight. And, um, you know, at that point, I started to realize this, this isn't me, this, this, this outward exhibition of, of, of alcohol and, and partying, this isn't who I am. Uh, And it wasn't making me feel any better. You know, I've talked to a lot of my friends and I've talked to other guests who have either used, you know, alcohol as a coping mechanism or, or have used drugs and, and some of them, you know, heroin, especially as, as an escape. And what I always found is that, you know, with with that short period of drinking, the anxiety and the panic and the fear, not only did it not go away, but it actually got worse <laughs> because then I started to panic about what happened last night. What did I do last night? And 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 then I thought, well, I'm not I'm not going to do this again. But then I found myself in that same situation. Right. Right over. Um <laughs> And so after that night, you know, my parents found out um, and my grades had suffered. And, and you know, I thought, no, I, I can't. I just can't keep doing this. Some, something has to change. Uh, and so, uh, you know, I stopped, I stopped the drinking. Luckily, it was only kind of a two or, or, or three week period that I went through this. Um, and I look back now and think this, how, how much that could have spiraled out of control. Uh, and I, I also, I think, you know, some of the things that could really have happened in those states. Um, and I'm, I'm lucky that none of it did. And, and, yeah. and now, you know, I drink, I drink wine. I, I love a, a really great French Bordeaux, especially a, mm-hmm. uh, a Pomerol. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I, I, none of that would have been possible if, if I had continued down that road and, um, so yeah, so alcohol played this really very brief but interesting role um, uh, in my life, and and if anything, it just you know it was something that uh, that along with being a freshman and being away from home and not feeling safe and not feeling secure and you know imposter syndrome and you know you know insecurity and you name it, it just added an additional layer of of anxiety to to a, mm. a kid who was already a ball of panic and worry and anxiety. <laughs> In my book here, My Steps to Sobriety, I talk about it and I call it hangsiety. The hangover um, the next day uh, is is doubling and, and even putting a potency on, on, on uh, your normal anxiety. And it's awful. Um, it is. And, and, I, as- and I'm lucky. I was going to, and I was going to say, I'm lucky through that experience. Uh, I, I somehow realized that if this is what alcohol does to me, there is no way and there is no way that I am even going to allow myself to dabble in any of these recreational drugs that I saw some of my other friends dabbling in because I thought if if this creates such a state of panic and worry for me, I can only imagine what getting high would do, being in a corner, rocking back and forth. Um, and so somewhere deep down, even though even though everything was spiraling, 
there was some piece of my conscious mind that was aware enough to say, stop, put on the brakes. Um, don't do this. And, and I'm, and I'm lucky, I'm lucky it did. I like to think now having done as much work as I've, I've done both on the Western medicine side and on the Eastern medicine side, that it was in fact, my grandmother, that, that strong, powerful force intervening, um, and, and helping to, to kind of help guide me during some of those, those, you know, later teenage into my early, you know, 20 year old Mm -hmm. years. And, and, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. You could, of course, also argue that you have sampled um, some of the addictions on the smorgasbord and you just figured out what didn't work for you. Okay, so for me, alcohol was the, yeah, baby. Oh, that was <laughs> releasing the pressure and let me put my mask down and let me put that that artificial... You have to be like that and this kind of 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 perfectionism that i put upon myself um which i which i could never live up to and therefore by definition i was a failure regardless what i achieved in life regardless uh, you know i was very good in my martial arts so there was the the, the 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 sports side i was best at school in academic side and so on so there's so many parallels to your life yet for me it was um the alcohol that really was there but also uh, parallel to that i think the first the first addiction that i really developed was workaholic and I could very much listen to you and say, well, hang on, hang on. So here you are, throw yourself into work for 16 hours a day. Well, hang on, that would do the trick. And you not having to face the reality. Um, that is, if you're task orientated, if you just go for for the money in this case, well, thank you very much. That is actually a very nice addiction. Was that part of it, actually? Oh, absolutely. And for me, uh, it's interesting. So here I am, I go to Wall Street. I was never and I, and I know this is going to be hard for some people to to believe, but I was never motivated by money. And I was never and still am not motivated by the money of it all. What motivated me was the thrill. It was, you know, it was Wall Street's a zero-sum game, which is 180 degrees from the world that I live in now, where I'm all about wanting to help others. Back then, if I won, someone else lost. And so that was my that was my scorecard. Right. So I I I was involved in um trading interest rate derivatives and foreign exchange derivatives for for quite some time. So, you know, a very stressful world. Uh and then I had lots of other roles in and around, you know, the corporate finance world of, of both Wall Street and then a Fortune 500 company for a while. Uh, but yes, for me, it was the tasks themselves. So being a perfectionist, being type A, uh, it was all about, you know, getting something accomplished for me was a win. That was a victory. Um, but never allowing myself to sit with that for any particular amount of time and say, yep. hey, wow, look what I did. No, it was always yeah. great. What's next? On to the exactly. next thing. 
on to the next thing. Um, and, and either looking for the external praise because I was never going to give that praise to myself internally. So, you know, it was, Oh, great job. Pat on the shoulder. Uh, now you get to go to this conference. You get to present at this conference. Oh, that was a, that was an amazing job. Now we're going to let you, uh, you know, increase the trading limit on your book. Um, oh, great. Now you're going to get to manage this larger team of people. Um, and as, as those roles and as those responsibilities grew, I never stopped to say, wow, look what I've accomplished. Like I did this, like this, this is me, right? No, it always was, well, it couldn't possibly be me, right? Here's the imposter syndrome. Like, who am I? I'm just some kid. I grew up in a, you know, in a lower middle-class blue collar, like neighborhood, like, I maybe I'm just lucky. Maybe I just fell into this. Maybe I just have some really good people around me uh, on my team, um, you know, and and they make me look good. So and I and I saw you pointing. It's funny, Stefan. I saw you pointing as soon as I started saying that. So I'm guessing this resonated with you as well. But yeah, that, the, that that was for me for for almost two decades. That was the place that I escaped to. <laughs> so true i remember in my so i had been a junior doctor so now i was going for my specialty for anesthesiology and so there are certain certain exams you pass as an anesthetist so the part one which is a bitch to pass um i had finished in the morning um then i went for lunch and the very next thing in the afternoon i went for a training session for part two for the next exam <laughs> rather than actually i'm surprised that i even took time out to eat <laughs> so it was it was straight to the next straight to the next straight to the next exactly. and i identified myself with that and i got a kick out of it and i, I guess that's that's the the nice thing to say and of course, for you in your career, that is what makes you a go-getter. That's what makes you that that person. I mean, I I per, person personified personified. I think is the word. Uh, yeah, I personified that that uh, that idea of Monday and Friday. You keep up with the competition. On the weekend, you overtake them, and that kind of of eighties kind of thinking that drove me and drove me until I crashed. So boom and bust was absolutely a, a way of life for me. Um, you are you're referring to those big uh, episodes of of dissociation, really, I mean, this was not just a bust, this was, boy, your body just saying, hey, I, I truly had it. And your mind saying, oh, you know what, I just go on holiday. Um, you're so but prior to that, did you have a boom and bust? Were you working, oh. working, working, and then suddenly an, a cold wiped you out? Um, because you had run yourself so much into the ground? Oh, absolutely. You know, getting sick physically. Uh, I think another thing, and, and I look back at it now and I'm like, it's it's like putting, it's like if somebody had given you a puzzle, like let's we'll, let's go back to our 20s, both you and I. It's as though somebody had given me a puzzle at 20 and said, all right, all the pieces of the puzzle are here, but you're not allowed to even try to put this puzzle together until you're 50 years old. 
right? And so, so I had this puzzle scattered all over the table. Um, and now I'm going back and putting those pieces and parts of the puzzle back together. So yeah. you just ask, yeah, was I sick a bunch? Sure, I was sick a bunch. But the other thing that I kept finding myself doing was I would spend some time at a company and then suddenly it was like a switch overnight that I need to leave and go somewhere else, mm. right? I it, it couldn't possibly be me. It had to be the company. And if I change where I'm working, things will be better. And so that pattern, right, followed me for a while. I did the same uh, and, with girls, man. I just <laughs> exactly, exactly same behavior. Three months, then then things got sort of routine and boring. Nah, nah, nah I can't have that. Oof, move on. Were yep, you an adrenaline? And, were you adrenaline junkie? I mean, you were. Yeah. Was was that? Was it the the thrill? You were saying the thrill was really what made. Yeah, it, it was the thrill. Oh. It was the thrill of Wall Street. It was the thrill of competition, uh, and it existed well into like my forties. My my wife used to nickname me Mister All or Nothing. And, uh, and, and there was a time when I would hear that and I would kind of laugh and wear that as a badge of honor. And, and, and now I recognize like that behavior was, was derailing me even when we moved here to Colorado. So uh, as an example, the whole reason for moving here to Colorado, um, was to, to leave New York uh, work on my mental health. We loved being in the mountains. We used to visit here quite often uh, and just, you know, be able to be outdoors every day and, and have that amazing change of scenery. And teaching skiing for me was, as I said, was going to be the, the next act in my career. And that's all I really wanted to do. I just wanted to teach skiing. I wanted to, you know, meet some amazing people, work with some amazing guests. But that was my only goal at the time. But suddenly, people started whispering in my ear, hey, you know what? You should take that exam. You can move up in your instructor level. Oh, and if you do that exam, and then if, if you do this, um, you know, you'll, you'll move up in the, in the pay grid and you'll get more clients. And, and so suddenly, I went from just wanting to teach skiing and be out on snow to chasing <laughs> chasing all of these certifications kind of like if you were in med school and you sat for different exams and that was what was driving me like every turn i would make on the snow it was like that wasn't no that wasn't it like i was i was seeking perfection in every single turn and i wasn't i wasn't looking at the beautiful scenery i mean we i live in one of the most beautiful places you know in the united states and and i some would argue probably at one of the most beautiful ski resorts around the world and I completely lost sight of that. It was all about trying to achieve and trying to accomplish the next thing. Um, and, it, and it's only been within the last four or five years where I said, enough, it's over. Like, life is not all about competition. Life is not about perfection because there is no such thing as perfection. And, and, I had started working with a sports psychologist to help me work through a lot of that because mm. with that came a lot of performance anxiety. 
all of these different ski exams I was taking, right? It was, it was the anxiety of performing in front of other people. Uh, it was, you know, I was, I was bike racing. And so it was the anxiety of, you know, I put in all of this work and then getting into the race and, and beating myself up if something didn't get go right. <laughs> but little did I know that my sports psychologist would soon turn into my actual therapist, uh, in in the in the past two years and and again that puzzle really started to be put together and looking back at seven-year-old me right we talked about my childhood and not feeling safe and secure and and so for me I didn't know what it was like to actually stand on my own two feet and accomplish something and have that self-esteem and be able to be proud of myself because I never had anybody else be proud of me. Uh, and so all of that competition and all of that attention seeking and all of that, you know, the rush and the adrenaline, it was my way of seeking some sort of self-validation uh, that um, that I, I, I just never, I never allowed it to come. Every I, I always had to go for that next rung on the ladder, uh, the the harder event, the ski, the steeper slope, the more dangerous, uh, the more dangerous shoot on the mountain. Like there was never a, hey, that was pretty cool. Like that's enough. Like, like be be happy with what you just did. <laughs> It's interesting. Here you are in your life. You're you are you have surrounded yourself with people who were actually guiding you. I think that the one thing that no one can tell you is that you did not seek action. Um, you acted, and you acted actually with quite some direction um, throughout much time of your life. Some of it misdirected, fair call, um, fair call. I live, I, we are both the living examples of that. Yep. But then once we sort of saw the light, we were heading towards it. Yet at the same token, there seemed to be still the same, the same drivers happening to us. Uh, you said that you explored quite a bit and, and realized with the help of some energy healing, with the help of other mentors, that actually, okay, this is why I tick like that. This is why I behave like that. So that's actually really, really beautiful. You explore your core beliefs, you take action. So why is it that we too and you just scratch a little bit on the surface that we still get. I, I bet you the imposter syndrome is still uh -huh. catching you out. I bet you that you're thinking, who am I to run a show, to have a, a, a YouTube channel or a, a podcast? It is, it is, why can we never be satisfied with, with what we have achieved? Why? I mean, do you take compliments easy? It's a loaded question. I'm gonna let's go down. Let's go down a couple of different paths there, shall we? So yes, the imposter syndrome 
still does rear its head. In fact, I'm uh, hopping on a plane and speaking in Louisville, Kentucky, uh, to a group of uh, parents and high school students uh, at, during the second half of next week. And last night, you know, I, I have, as I write or speak, it, a lot of it is stream of consciousness. And so uh, last night, a lot of things started to pop into my head. So I started jotting them down of what I wanted to say. And then there was this other voice of, who are you? Who are you to speak to these parents? <laughs> exactly. Like, like exactly. these kids, these kids, they want to hear from you. Like, maybe they're just going to sit there and think to themselves, like, what's this guy? What's this guy saying? Right? Like, yeah. he, he doesn't get me. So yeah, that that imposter syndrome's still there, but now. I recognize it as being imposter syndrome, as opposed to just being like this voice that's always was always there in my mm. life. Um, and so now I'm able to to separate the two and say, okay, uh, is this grounded in reality or is this the imposter syndrome taking over? And so that's uh, that's where the I think the path for me has really diverged over the over over the past nice. couple of years. Nice. Um, where does that come from? And 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 how am I not able to accept compliments really well? It's almost it's almost as though you uh, not only do we live parallel lives, but like you have a little camera in my house and you're following me around and uh, and you hear when somebody says like, oh, that was like, oh, that was really cool what you just said. And I'm thinking in my head, like, I didn't say anything like what, what, what did I do? Uh, and that comes from that, you know, for decades and decades and decades, not putting up boundaries. And, and my energy healer likes to describe a lot of the types of people who I would surround myself with as energy vampires, where, you know, uh, for somebody uh, like uh, me, uh, I was always a people pleaser. I was doing things because that's what other people wanted me to be doing. It wasn't necessarily what I wanted to do, but it was what I heard somebody wanted me to do. And so I never had those boundaries up. And uh, and so, yeah, I for me, I was like, well, why are you complimenting me? This is, isn't this what you wanted me to do? Isn't this what you expected me to do? Um, and, and so, yeah, so a lot of that is um, now putting up boundaries in my life and, and it gets to something that, um, and it's, it's a little bit of a preview as to what I'm, I'm going to be speaking about as I go out over the next couple of months, but it's this idea of for so very long in life, we're always told meet other people where they're at, meet other people where they're at, which means we have to physically do something to change ourselves, to meet somebody else where they're at. But nobody ever tells us, take some time to meet yourself where you're at. <laughs> and that, for me, I think has been one of the big game changers. And that's what I talk about a lot now is you can't meet other people where you're at until you meet yourself where you're at. Until you've met your own needs, until you've started to do things for yourself, and you've allowed yourself to accept thank yous from other people, mm -hmm. to accept that, hey, I accomplished this, mm -hmm. then I can, you know, let some of those boundaries down and mm -hmm. I can choose what I'm going to do. And, you know, I'm going to, yeah, I have the bandwidth to be able to, uh, to help you with this today. Or, you know what, my schedule is really busy. 
I'd really like to be able to help you. I really, I really, you know, I'm, uh, I'm excited about what you're doing. I just don't have the time right now. Can mm. we revisit that at another time? And so, yeah. And so it's, it's all about, you know, you know, mm. kind of shedding myself. And I saw you put it on the screen, shedding myself of, of these energy vampires who just mm. want to take, 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 um, and not give anything back in return. And then at the end of the day, just like when a vampire kind of, uh, you know, preys on its victim, you know, as an individual, you have nothing left to give for yourself. Hmm. I had to write that down uh, because that was such a beautiful concept. Uh, like, like, like in, um, Oh, uh, Harry Potter, the Dementors, um, sucking yes. the life out of you. Exactly. And it's that kind of concept. Um, there are too many, too many of those folks out there. Having said that, I mean, I've, I've become, I've become so much more selective with regards to who I spend time with and who I let in my life and into my life. And it is a very strange thing because right now, especially after after two years of COVID, I've protected myself and my family as much as possible because I became a freaking hermit. Um, so, but it it helped. Um, therefore, because as a, you know, if I don't go to work, there's no money coming in as a private mm -hmm. anesthetist. So therefore I had to be careful there and it was good. But I nowadays after having practiced that solitude to a certain degree um i have to say i'm i've become fiercely protective of my time fiercely selective of what i let others in i don't need drama i don't need bullshit i uh, i have learned to find people in a different way for example here i am speaking with you and eric you just gave me an hour of therapy an hour of holding the mirror in front of my face where well, i have to say bloody hell um there are a lot of things that are so true and by simply talking about the same subjects that that i experience but you choose multiple different words that's when suddenly for me it says huh okay chandelier moment as you called them um it is huh those kind of see sound effects i i have a lot of i do I love, I love the sound effects <laughs> no it is just that's what happens to me and i find that so beautiful and that is nowadays uh and a very active choice but i do that um because I have been in the darkness. Um, I do take action and I want to to be a better man. And for that, I need to meet myself where I am at now to actually draw a baseline, to actually measure where you are at in your various roles in life. That is actually quite a challenging thing because it forces me to write down those things that maybe I'm not yet good in. So there's the risk of me, oh God, you know, take the whip and get it out. Yeah, look, what are you haven't achieved. But then it also forces me 
to actually write those things down that I have achieved because now I'm going for key performance indicators in my life. So did I spend time with my wife? Did I actually have a date night? Did I actually take her out for some breakfast somewhere? And we could just talk about that. Yes or no, it can be measured because I'm looking at it. And that's beautiful. Now, suddenly, now when I do these things, well, you know, if I if I flock myself for not doing things, I now need to celebrate that I actually did things. And that sometimes puts a really nice smile on my face. So if that's a, a, a way for me to grow, that I'm actually saying, well, I'm not a failure. I'm actually, look, Stefan, here, here is your spreadsheet. And I literally, guys, just don't 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 think bad of me, but I'm I'm an analytic. And I have actually started a spreadsheet uh, with my life and some some key performance indicator as a speaker, as a show host, as a author, as a man, as in various roles there, where I said, well, actually, you know, I want to be the best version. But in order to do so, I can't just float around like a butterfly from this flower to that flower. That doesn't work. Not for me, at least. So um, I've come to a point in my life where I know, well, you know, the time is precious. Let's make the most out of it. And I live nowadays with an intention that is that was never there, even five years ago eight years certainly eight ten years ago when i was still drinking um but nowadays i live full of intention is there is there a similar force appearing in your life is there a similar kind of what drives you nowadays you jettison all the negative things mm -hmm. but what is the positive driver there that now that you foster it's funny. We're going to draw another parallel between our lives. And for me, each and every day, I aim to be what I call a better version of my former self. Uh, because I know for so long, as I was going through therapy and, and working on my OCD and working on my, my anxiety, all, all I used to keep saying is, um, I want to get back to myself. I want to get back to myself. And um, and I remember having a conversation with my therapist, you know, a couple of years back. And she said, you're never going to get back to yourself. She goes, why would you ever want to be that person again? <laughs> now it's time for you to become a better version of your former self. And I was like, that makes total sense. I don't want to be seven-year-old Eric living in a world of anxiety and panic mm -hmm. and, 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 and walking through life with a facade and, and trying to fit in and, and, and trying to be what everybody else wanted me to be. Now I live each and every day trying to be a better version of my former self and recognizing yeah, you you keep a spreadsheet. Um, it's funny. I still use spreadsheets for some of my other work, but uh, I, I I have a little bit of PTSD. I would say just from from Excel in general uh, from my career, and so I try to use it as limited as possible. But um, so I I do more writing these days, and you know I look at like even during the course of the day, 
because you were talking about, you know, we were saying meeting yourself where you're at and, and it changes, right? And it can change by the day, it can change by the hour, it can change mm -hmm. by the week. Mm -hmm. And so now what I do is I kind of measure myself by, oh, wow, look how I responded to that situation. Nice. Two years ago, I would have done X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. This time I did this. And a lot of times I'll try to speak it out loud. So I'll speak it at home or I'll speak it with friends just so that, you know, it becomes... You know, when we talk about speaking about mental health and mental illness and having the conversation, it doesn't just mean talking about like, oh, I have anxiety or I have such and such diagnosis. But to me, it, what it means is this whole holistic approach to having the conversation. And, and if it means pointing out to other people, hey, this is what I'm working on. And, and I did it today. I was able to do it today. Or, or. I wasn't able to do it today. And what do I now need to do? Or what do I need to continue to work on so that I can get better at this? Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, it's really no longer um, a world of outcomes, but it's a world of processes, right? And, and it's the journey. Uh, and Beautiful. each and every day, kind of Beautiful. seeing where am I on this journey? It's like, you know, you, you talked about Harry Potter, I on our show, we talk a lot about Lord of the Rings. And, <laughs> but the difference is, there's no ring. There is no ring, like you never get the ring. The journey never ends. Every day is is part of the journey and it's going to have some twist and turn and and you're going to think, oh, yeah, yeah, here it is, here it is. And nope, now we're going to grow differently in this direction. Um, and so, yeah, I, if I had to sum it up, it would be, you know, waking up with the intention every day of, of being a better version of my former self. Mm. And accepting that this is a privilege to think like that and to be able to do something about it that um it's for me that is so important that i put an element of gratitude into that because otherwise it just could has the risk of becoming just another to-do list another you must achieve that mm -hmm. um because that's that's the the default for me um so if i can actually say now hang on this is uh, and in all fairness, my spreadsheet, whilst I summarized it in a few points, it is much, 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 much longer. And I've got actually uh, accountability partners, uh, sort of people that are with me on, on similar journeys. And we hold each other accountable to our things. And when they saw my spreadsheet, they thought, oh, my God, you will never be able to achieve that. Because they mistook it for a to-do list. For me such a thing is not a to-do list, but it is actually a reflection of my life. And I can mm -hmm. say, okay, wow, there are all these beautiful things that I've got a privilege to do or wanting to do. And I can, it's humanly impossible to even touch a fraction of that. That is cool. But what do I want to focus on right now? Is it my physical body? Which means, do I do some nice home cooking, maybe some meal prep for the week? Uh, do I want to do some, well, no, which workout do I want to do today? Um, those kind of things. So I I use it as a, like a big smorgasbord uh, where I can get to choose, ooh, today I'm going to work on that. And I'm going to, and it's beautiful from that point, point of view. 
you're you're taking control you're looking at it positively i try to have a little bit of fun somewhere along the line there and it is and i try not to take myself too seriously about it so therefore and that's something which my accountability partners have trouble with but you didn't achieve what you set out two weeks ago. We want to hold you accountable for that. And I said, actually, in those two weeks, a lot of shit has happened. For example, bang, 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 bang. And no, I had to adapt, change, overcome, roll with the punches. And I am proud that I have not fallen back into a pity party that I've not fallen back into, oh, poor me, poor me, poor me, another one, um, those kind of things. So it is actually interesting. How much? And I love how you, I love how you, you talk about the to-do list because it's such an important distinction. And you were talking about your accountability partners. And to me, a to-do list is exactly the opposite of what you're doing on your journey and what I'm doing on my journey. A to-do list is essentially a task and then you check it off and then you're done. Like you never have to do that task again. Oh, I see. Whereas what we do in our journeys and your accountability spreadsheet for you, it's a reminder. And, and in some ways, gosh, I'm going to go back to my finance world, kind of a benchmark of, okay, here's what, here's something I'm working on. And kind of over time, this is what it's looking like. Yeah. And yeah, I've had some really great days. And oh, yeah, I've had some some rougher days where I might not have been able to accomplish that. But what else was going on around me at that mm. time that challenged me that didn't allow me to get there? And so yeah, it's 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 the complete opposite of a to do list. It? It's, it's, <laughs> it's more of a it's more of a road to me, it's a roadmap. It's like, oh, here's here, you know, here's a map of the United States with all the roads on it. Um, and and I want you to get from uh Boston to Los Angeles. Uh any way you want. And 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 along the way, kind of jot down like, oh yeah, I, I went through Pittsburgh and look what I saw in Pittsburgh. And um, you know, I took a little detour down to Kansas City and I had some really great <laughs> ribs. And then I, yeah, there's there's no like I did this and and now I no longer ever have to again think about like why do I get angry in this situation? No, I have to, that is something I have to work on each and every day. That's what you get to work on each and every yes, day. Yes, <laughs> exactly. It's a privilege to get to work on it each and exactly. every day. Exactly. Oh man! Wow. Okay. There's you've come such a long way. But if you if you compare it actually to to uh, the overall span of our life, we've only just started. So uh, have you tried? Have you have you tried to figure out who you want to be when you grow up? Ah, uh, yes. It's a. Uh... So act, so it's called, let's say act three for me has kind of started about 18 months ago. Uh, but I really, I feel like you know, I turned 50 last October and I feel like turning 50 for me was like this rebirth. So like wow. the new, it's the new me. And yeah. So if, when people ask me, first of all, like, what do you do? That that's a question. Like I, I almost want to refuse to answer now uh, because to me, like, what do you do? Is not important? Like it's, it's all about why. And uh, mm. I went to school. Uh, one of, one of 
my classmates who were a couple years younger was Simon Sinek, uh, you know, who wrote that book, you know, what is your why? And, uh, and so, you know, I've read in, and I think a lot about that now, like, what is my why? It's not my what, and it's not the how, but it's my why. Why am I like, why am I here? Why am I uh, sharing my story? Why am I um, so eager to want to to help others? And, and, you know, when I think about, you know, the next, you know, X decades of, of my life, it's, mm. I want to be able to help others through my own lived experiences so that even if it means, uh, you know, just for a split second, uh, that they may change a decision that they were about to make, um, or if it helps change the trajectory of their own lives, that they don't have to go through what I went through, mm-hmm. um, that they can hear my experience and learn from it and take away a few nuggets from it and and live a happier, more joyous life um, for a longer period of time. Uh, and so, yeah, people ask me, uh, it's it's funny. They're like, what's your, what sometimes it's what's your soapbox, what's your, and to me, the hill I'm going to die on is I want to be remembered as the person who helped reshape the conversation around mental health. <laughs> beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And, and you are well and truly on your way. And that is so beautiful. So thank you so much for coming onto my show for actually letting me part of be me being part of that journey, letting me experience some of the the highs and lows of your of your journey so far. And as you, I must say, um, okay, this was all preamble. Okay, so when, so <laughs> let the next act begin, but not in the kind of pathological way that we were, okay, next, 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 that we were living in the past, but actually with a joyous, uh, joyous curiousness to say, mm-hmm. ooh, ooh, what's next? What's next? What's the next challenge? Um, and understanding that those challenges might not always be easy and that some of them do come with pain and that some of them um, are not so pretty. Some of them you wouldn't even want your worst enemy to to go through. Um, they will come. No two ways around it. In all fairness, the last two years were, two, were bitches. I mean, it's just honestly, it is. I mean, every six hours at times, there was a new disaster happening in my life. And I, I'm, I'm coming to a point now where I have to say, okay, there's only so much shit that can happen in the life of a man. Honestly, truly. That is, I have done my measure and then some. So yeah. I'm actually waiting for every day now to, to say, okay, come on, I'm ready. I'm ready for my life to get better. <laughs> and But even with all the shit that has happened, it all had a silver lining. Because exactly. I'm, I'm proud of myself that I did not fall back into my addiction. I'm proud of myself that at times when times were really rough, when suddenly a different me emerged, uh, a not so nice guy, a guy who quite happily goes over, walks on the, on the, on the corpses of his enemy, um, but he came out to, to protect me. So I got to experience that person um 
and I put him back into the dungeon where he normally lives. So that's cool too. Um, but it's those kind of things. It is, it is what it is. And I met myself where I was at at that stage. And I do so with an, an awareness that for that I'm truly grateful for. That is that is I actually get to live in this moment to understand who I am at right now. And then maybe I can reflect on who I want to be and what is the next step for me to take. And I love so I love how you said I love how you said that. And and it's it's taken me a very long time to recognize it, but in life, uh, you know, we're only we're only dealt the shit that somebody knows that we can handle and so there are many of us who are dealt more and more of it and it's because we are strong enough to be able to move through it to be able to come out the other side and i know it sounds i know it sounds weird but in corny and cliche but you're right aren't you yeah yeah and you talk about that whole idea of you know pain and um and again it's another thing that's taken me a long time to recognize but but unless we allow ourselves to experience those moments of, of, of you know, terrifying and, and horrible darkness and pain, we never really get to experience those moments of pure joy, right? Mm-hmm. Because for for a very long time in 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 my life, I just went along at what I thought was like, hey, you know, I kind of don't feel terrible today, but I don't feel great, but that's okay. (laughs) But then once I started to see these bookends of like, oh my God, this is what like unbelievable Mm. pain feels like. And then I, I opened myself up to like allowing myself to have real joy. And, and now for me, it's all about living and creating these textured experiences. It's not this fleeting happiness of like, oh yeah, I'm going to buy a new car. I'm going to buy a new bike. It's no, I'm going to take this trip. I'm going to go here for a month and, and experience these things and live, Mm. live these things um, that I now start to recognize like, yeah, that's what the spectrum is. It's, it's really wide. It's not just this flat line of life that we mm. try to try to live on each and every day. Oh, fantastic. Eric, thank you so much for coming on to my show. I mean, this was this was an absolute illuminating and 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 really a, a fantastic discussion because I I learned so much about myself and and I allowed myself with that to grow. And this is already a bloody good day. And it's barely eight o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Hell, <laughs> I'll take that as a gift. Okay. <laughs> Eric, and if, if no, I was just going to say, yeah, go ahead. No, no, ladies first, ladies first, come on. I was going to say that, yo, thank you so much for, for having me on. It was an absolute honor. And and I echo the sentiments right back to you. <laughs> you know, every time I'm on a show or when I do my own show, uh, I, I always come away learning something and, mm. and thinking something new. And even though it's a little bit later into my afternoon here, uh, you know, I had, I had a f- couple of things go haywire this morning on the technology side and kind of mm. derailed me, but having had this conversation, it's put me back, uh, in the right headspace, uh, mm. and has me pondering a lot of, of interesting thoughts as well. So, you know, I thank you for that. <laughs> Eric, if people want to know more about you and and want to maybe engage with you, where can they do that? Sure. So uh, first off, our podcast, 
called From Survivor to Thriver. Uh, we release new episodes every Tuesday. Uh, it's on Apple and Spotify and Google and wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Uh, we are all over the socials. Uh, so you can find me personally on Facebook. It's Eric with a K, E-R-I-K, DeRosa. I'm on Instagram. Uh, my Insta handle, it's kind of fun. It's at Ski Sherpa, S-K-I-S-H-E-R-P-A. A nod to my, my winter life here uh, in the mountains. Uh, and then you can find us, uh, we have a Facebook page, the From Survivor to Thriver page. Uh, so it's very interactive and we love for people to come on and uh, you can message us. And uh, we also have a From Survivor to Thriver Instagram page. Uh, and I love to hear, you know, people, if you want to DM me uh, or if you want to email us, and I'm going to see, Stefan, if you can figure out why it's called this, but our email address is amgits, A-M-G-I-T-S dot reverse, R-E-V-E-R-S-E at gmail.com. Amgits, well, you get to reverse. The past does not equal the future. Um, that is immediately what I, what what come to my mind. So you're absolutely so you're absolutely on the right track. Uh, it was my wife came up with the name. She's much smarter than I would ever hope to be, and she's a writer as well. But Amgits is the word stigma backwards. So it's all about reversing <laughs> the gets, stigma. Ah, <laughs> ah, 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 ah. Priceless. Priceless. Well done. So yeah, well be done. sure to drop us a line. I love to hear from people. And uh and, and in this somewhat post-COVID world, I love traveling. And so uh yeah. I'm I'm always happy to uh to to travel around if you're ever looking uh for for a speaker. Um, you know, the world is my oyster these days. So oh brilliant. Eric DeRosa, thank you so much for being a guest on my show. Guys, if you haven't found some inspiration in today's interview then i'm sorry there is no hope for you honestly there is <laughs> i very rarely say that but honestly <laughs> enough is enough there is so much good stuff in there what possibly could stop you in taking action towards your own better life towards going out there making your life your life that a life that you can be proud of yes you are in the darkness now yes there is pain there now but guess what that will disappear that will go and today is a new day right now is a new second in which you can uh, can make a new choice go out there look after yourself and live with passion bye <laughs> <laughs>